So today, uh, I thought we would talk about our Haftorah portion. It uh, works out quite well, and I've had Bruce on my mind in this, and it works out in such a way that uh, this uh, message uh, reminds me of Bruce. Uh, this is dedicated to Bruce Smith. So first the question is, why is this uh, the Haftorah portion? <laughs> You know, the Torah portion comes from the book of Leviticus. Uh, we're at uh, the Day of Atonement, right? Uh, Yom Kippur, and, uh, and then uh, there's some very practical passages. It's actually two passages in one, in one week. Actually, uh, if we go back there for just a second, it wouldn't hurt us, I suppose. So chapter 16 is about the Day of Atonement and the need for a cleansed sanctuary and cleansed people. And, uh, you know, in chapter 16 at the, of Leviticus at the beginning, it says, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And the death of the two sons of Aaron comes six chapters earlier. Uh, and let me just say a quick word about the, you know, when Henry uh, was talking about the canonical reading of scripture, it's not just the books, but it's the chapters. It's the whole, it's the whole thing. Uh, and uh, so, not, not that it's part of today's message, but there's a reason why you have chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 sandwiched in between Leviticus chapter 10 and 16. And that's why it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Well, the death of the two sons of Aaron, you know, Nadab and Abihu, when they offered strange fire, that's in chapter 10. And of course, it's telling us uh, here about the need for, again, a cleansed sanctuary and cleansed priesthood and cleansed uh, people. Uh, but then it's interesting, uh, when you come to uh, uh, chapter 18 and 19, you have in chapter 18, at the beginning, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and nor shall you do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk uh, in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes. To live in accord with them, I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Okay. Then the beginning of chapter 19. I'll kind of put this together as to why now we have Amos as our Haftorah portion. Then, in the beginning of chapter 19, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Uh, and, uh, and so Israel is clearly called to be a different kind of people, right? Israel is called to be a different kind of people, a people that uh, characterize uh, the holiness of God. Uh, and so it's interesting, so not only the, the nation, but we don't always say this, but therefore the designated leader of the nation, who is the king, is most definitely supposed to characterize the holiness of God. He's like God's, as we learned last weekend, right? He's God's regent. He is like the visible uh, form of the presence of God, the, the king of Israel, whether that be David, whether that be Solomon, uh, whether that uh, be Ahaz, whether that be Hezekiah, whoever the king is, holds this particular role, not like the kings of everywhere else. So when you come to uh, Amos uh, at the very end of the book, 
If you've read the whole book of Amos at some point, you know that Amos is uh, uh, talks about justice and mercy and, and treating people fairly and kindly. And if you read the entire chapter of, for example, Leviticus chapter 19, there you will see what it means to be holy. You know, when it talks about to love your neighbor as yourself and, and, and all, of those, uh, all of those passages. So here, in Amos chapter 9, you have, beginning in verse 7, Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor to the Arameans from Kerr? And by the way, that was great reading of those names uh, earlier, right? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not in a kernel will but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. Then, then we read, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth or sukkah of David, and wall up its breaches, and I will raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, does this. And then the last three verses talk about just how wonderful that day will be. Uh, but uh, since we read that part earlier, I wanted to focus on uh, 7 to 12, verses 7 to, uh, 7 to 12. So the problem, the problem in verses 8, 9, and 10, and 11, no, 8, 9, and 10, 7, 8, and 9, and 10, uh, is that uh, Israel was not living differently than the nations. And it's been, it was written all through chapters 1 to 8, and so it sort of comes to a head here in chapter 9. Uh, and that uh, uh, certainly is the problem uh, that we read uh, in, um, you know, in, most of the, uh, in most of the prophets, right? Uh, and, uh, and so we see here that uh, as this uh, prophet comes toward the end of what he's saying, uh, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 9, you read the whole thing, it's like a tremendous devastation is going to come. Tremendous devastation uh, is going to uh, come. And it's interesting in verse 11, well, actually, I should say, in verse uh, uh, nine, the end of verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares, uh, declares the Lord. So there's going to be this great devastation, but God is not going to totally uh, uh, destroy the entire house of Jacob. Notice, I will just say in passing, sons of Israel, house of Jacob, the terms are used uh, interchangeably. So even though that Amos is speaking to the people in the northern kingdom, he's in a way speaking to everybody, okay? He's speaking to everybody. All right, and so he says that the house of, uh, you know, behold, I'm going to shake the house of Israel among the nations. That's a, that's a scary thought, right? I'm going to shake, I'm going to shake it like a sieve, right? Uh, but 
uh, uh, those who are the remnant, those who trust in the Lord, those who embrace, truly embrace the God of Israel and have a heart of repentance, nothing's going to happen to them. They will be held. They will be held. Not a kernel will fall to the ground. So he talks about, there. yes, there's going to be indeed this judgment, but there will indeed be a remnant. And that uh, concept of remnant is found uh, throughout the text. Uh, in fact, if you've been reading through Isaiah, you read that uh, clearly uh, there is a remnant of uh, a remnant of Israel. Okay, uh, and so we see here now that he talks about this remnant that all will not be lost. Now he begins to talk about this promise, this promise about the fallen booth or the fallen sukkah of David. In that day, I will raise up the fallen booth of David. First thing we want to notice is that God is the one who does the raising up. It doesn't come through strategy. It doesn't come by being smarter than all the other nations. Uh, but, But it's supernatural. God will raise up the fallen booth of David. Now, you know, uh, when we talk about this uh, fallen booth of David, uh, what we could say is, uh, we could use other words, the dilapidated booth of David, you know, the house of David. A sukkah, of course, is a flimsy structure, right? A flimsy structure that, uh, you know, you kind of could blow over, right? Uh, And the idea behind the sukkah is that uh, we have a building from God, right? But, but the sukkah is uh, a flimsy structure. That's why we live in it, to remind us that God is the one who protected us in the wilderness. In other places, even in the Brit Harashan, the New Covenant, our earthly bodies is a picture of the, you know, the, um, uh, the uh, sukkah, the fallen booth of, uh, the, the fallen, uh, booth of, our, of our own lives, right? But here we see that God will raise up the dilapidated, falling apart house of, of David. Now, uh, there's, uh, there's a few things, I think, uh, uh, to notice here. Uh, and that is, uh, first, that what is dilapidated is the... When we talk about the house of David, and this is so true for so much of the Scriptures that the focus on the uh, falling apart is on the, the kings, on the dynasty, uh, like the regime of David. And the kings, the kings who are supposed to be the representative of God on the throne, the kings who are supposed to lead the people in righteousness, they have failed miserably. And this leads to certainly a failure of, uh, of the nation, okay? Uh, and, uh, and certainly we know, for example, uh, in another early prophet who was a contemporary of Amos, it's kind of interesting, a contemporary of Amos is Hosea. And in the third chapter of Hosea, uh, it says in verse 4, For the sons of Israel will remain many days without a king. We'll just say that. We'll remain many days without a king. And so the, uh, the symbol, one might say, more than a symbol, but a symbol of the state of affairs of Israel is the lack of a king to sit on the throne. 
That's like a judgment. God, in a sense, took down the regime because of their sins. Yet, he cares enough for the people that there is indeed a remnant. And so the promise begins with, I will raise up the dynasty. I will raise up the regime of David, uh, the fallen booth of David. And uh, I will bring restoration. Uh, Now, it's very interesting uh, that uh, in Hebrew, when it says, and wall up its breaches, it's uh, actually a literal rendering might be uh, wall up her breaches. Okay? Speaking of this kingdom, wall, you know, uh, in other words, looking at it in a very physical way, you know, raising up, first it says, like overall, raise up the fallen dynasty of David and raise up the kingdom. And then, interesting also, in the next phrase, I will also raise up his, literally, his ruin. Her breaches, his ruins. And so it's interesting that perhaps when it talks about his ruins, it's speaking of the, the kingship of David, raising up the, raising up the kingdom, raising up the king, uh, and then rebuilding it as in days of old, speaking of the whole, every, you know, everything, the, the people, uh, the kingdom, and the king, and that it all goes together as in the days of old. As in the days of old reminds us of the days when David was in his strength as the king. It reminds us of the day when God made that promise indeed to David that his dynasty would last forever, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so how interesting it is when we think about our teachings from last week, again, that this kingdom is centered in David's dynasty and remains so all the way, all the way, uh, all the way through. Now, you know, there's something else that's interesting, and the reason I'm bringing this up is just because of our readings in Isaiah. You know, in Isaiah chapter 22, who was an older contemporary of Amos, they come, they're like in the same time period, very interesting. Uh, if you had an opportunity to read these chapters, you know that the sin in chapter 22 of Isaiah of Israel was complacency, was complacency. In fact, one of the leaders was building a monument to himself. They don't realize that judgment is coming. Uh, and uh, the passage talks about, uh, you know, your boisterous towns, your exultant city, uh, and, you, you know, you th- you're having a great uh, time. You've prepared for war, and you think that everything's going to be great, but you don't realize that uh, judgment is, is coming. So there's a very interesting little, uh, little section here uh, in uh, chapter uh, 22, where God raises up the, uh, a leader. His name is mentioned a few times in the Bible. And his name is Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And he's going to become a leader, not the king, but someone who's in charge of the household of the king, whatever all of that entails. And he says something uh, about him, that he would be entrusted with authority and he would become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then in verse 22, it says, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, 
When he opens, no one will shut. When he, what he shuts, no one will open. And I will drive him like a peg in a firm place. The key of David, the authority of David. As an underling of the king, this Eliakim would have the authority of David. And it's very interesting because when you come to Amos chapter 9, again, you have also the sin of complacency. They think nothing is going to happen to them. In Amos, you read, oh, those who are at ease in Zion. You know, in, uh, in another chapter, I believe in chapter 6. Uh, and, and, uh, but then we read that just like it says Eliakim would be given the key of David, so God is going to restore the dynasty of King David and the kingdom uh, and, uh, and all of it. But then notice there's something else that it says. Uh, it says in verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. So it's very interesting that uh, there is a view here of this good news for Israel that is good news also for the nations, okay? Uh, that God is going to raise up another King David. God is going to raise up this kingdom, and there'll be a remnant from Israel for, and I'll just say it like this, for the sake of the nations. Now, why does it say that they may possess the remnant of Edom? Edom is a hostile nation. Edom uh, is uh, always, you know, a thorn in the side of, of Israel. Uh, Edom is a, uh, um, a, a country, a, a land uh, that is ungodly, that is pagan. And I would suggest that the reason he says Edom, and then, in, you know, then he says, and all the nations who are called by my name, is that there will be a remnant even from the most unexpected places. There'll be a remnant even from hostile nations. And you know, if we were having an MSI class on this, we would talk about Amos's informed theology that probably came from Isaiah, uh, as well as being revealed by God. Because in our readings in Isaiah, do you notice that there are remnants from the most unlikely places? You read about a remnant from Damascus. You read about a remnant from Egypt. You read a remnant from Assyria. Just those three in Isaiah's day, that was all three we could call the evil empire. And so what's very interesting about that is that there is a difference the way, seemingly the way God sees regimes and people that God takes down and judges evil powers, but there is a remnant from the peoples. You know, to me, that goes back to Genesis chapter 18, when God says, when, when Abraham is having a very interesting conversation with God, you know, uh, uh, Sodom, an evil, an evil nation. But Abraham is concerned about righteous people that might be there, certainly including his nephew. But righteous people that might be there, you know? Uh, and I think that for us, this, uh, this is kind of like almost an aside, but a very important point, that we need to see the world that way. When we pray against evil regimes in this world, to be able to separate people from the evil power, that God is concerned about people, innocent people, righteous people, innocent people, believers, He's concerned about people. 
and judges regimes. And sadly, those who back the regimes and embrace the regimes and all of that. That's very important because God has, is judging the nations that way. Uh, that's why there's a remnant from all of these places that you'd least expect it. When we read about God judging Assyria, it doesn't mean every single person in Assyria, but it means he takes down, you know, Sennacherib <laughs> and, uh, and evil leaders. And that is exactly what happens to Israel and Judah. God takes down the regime. The people are not annihilated. No. You know, even the, what we like to call the lost ten tribes were never lost. They're only lost in some kinds of theologies. They're lost, but, but not according to God and his word. And also you see it quite clearly that the people end up in Babylon uh, and then return. Certainly people stayed in Babylon, and that's the rest of Jewish history. But God judges the regimes. He judged the house of David, but not indeed forever. So he raises up the, uh, the king. He raises up uh, a kingdom and the people, and then that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So this is not only good news for Israel, it's good news for the nations. And as we, may, uh, as we may know, this is a very important passage in the Brit Harashah, in the book of Acts, in the 15th chapter. In Acts chapter 15, there is a, a, a dispute. There's a dispute. It says in the beginning of the chapter, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's the problem. You have uh, the, these uh, people who uh, come to uh, Antioch and say that, uh, okay, you who are not Jewish, you cannot really be a believer in the Messiah of Israel unless you become Jewish. That's, you know, become circumcised, become Jewish. Okay? So this is, uh, this is an issue. You can read the whole chapter for yourself, but what we, uh, what we see is, is that they come to Jerusalem, they come to James and give testimony. And James is going to make a decision uh, about this. All right? All right, so uh, we read here uh, in verse 6 of Acts 15. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate... One can only imagine what that means, okay? Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And you read that in earlier chapters and Acts, right? Uh, uh, and, and you read how God supernaturally showed Peter uh, uh, that uh, the Gentiles need to hear this message in the vision of the, the animals. It wasn't about kosher food. It was about Gentiles, right? Okay. Uh, and because God had to supernaturally impart to Peter, because this was so unheard of, this was so radical, just to go to people who are not Jewish and, and, you know, and, and bring this message of repentance and just believe without having to become Jewish. See? And so Peter is giving testimony of this. 
Then it says in verse 9, And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon uh, the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Yeshua. In the same way, they are also. And the multitude kept silent. You know, Peter was no lightweight, right? Okay. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So James hears all of this, hears all the testimony, and he, uh, uh, he is uh, so important in the very early history, un- unrecognized, so, that's so important. At this particular period of time, his word was going to carry the day. Okay? See, it's interesting, Paul and Barnabas are giving testimony. Peter, you know, his words are very important. Paul and Barnabas give examples, and James make this, makes the decision. It tells you the importance of James and Peter in those very early days. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Shimon, Peter, right, had, has related how God first concerned himself about taking among himself Gentiles a people for his name. For his name. Ah, Amos. People called by my name, for his name. Ah. And with these words, the prophets agree. Now, let's stop with that. The prophets agree. I already mentioned, and I won't take the time to turn to them for the sake of time. Uh, You read carefully uh, uh, Isaiah 13 to 23. Wow, when was the last time you read that carefully, right? Uh, You know, that's, that's not about the virgin birth, and it's not about the death of the Messiah. What else is there in Isaiah, right? Well, what you'll see is, if you read it carefully, there are, there are remnants from other nations. You read about remnants from other nations in many of the prophets. And so the prophets agree, but he's going to use Amos as the, uh, as the proof text, one might say, okay? The prophets agree with what Peter is saying. Just as, and by the way, not only the prophets, but the Psalms, like Psalm 67, that we uh, say uh, every day when we're counting the Omer, God bless us that all the nations of the earth may fear him, you know, that the nations might uh, uh, receive the salvation that we have received. Read Psalm 67, it's quite clear. And it's all over the place. Okay, so it says here, and with these, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, uh, makes these things known from of old. Okay, now this is not exactly like we read in Amos because much of it comes from the Septuagint. Okay, the the Greek translation. And by the way, you know what that tells us? That tells us that that was the Jewish, that that's the Jewish understanding of Amos in the days of Yeshua. Uh, uh, For example, where, you know, it talks about that uh, the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. That's why it doesn't say Edom, you know, and the word nations as it does in the Hebrew text. Anyway, so James is applying this great promise in Amos to the days of Messiah. Because we understand that Yeshua, 
is the raised up king. He is the king descended from David who sits on the throne, right? And so when you go back to uh, Amos and uh, you look there in uh, verse 11, in that day, uh, I will raise, in other words, after the judgment, in that day, after the judgment, that's what it means uh, within, in, in Acts, you know, and after these things, right? I will raise up the fallen. It will no longer be a dilapidated dynasty. It'll be restored with the king who is the uh, character and nature of God on the throne. And he will build this kingdom and raise up uh, uh, his ru- the ruin of David, of all those, the kings who failed, failed, failed. Remember in the book of Kings, the, the main uh, one word that describes the book of Kings, failure. That will all be over. And there will be a king and this kingdom as in the days of old. So there will be a remnant of Israel, there will be a king, and there will be a kingdom in order that they may possess the remnant of the nations, in order that the nations whom God calls would come under the umbrella of the king of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, not become Jews, but relate to the king of Israel under the commonwealth of Israel. And that's why, remember that the problem here. Uh, the problem was, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? And James uses this passage to say, no. No, God has raised up our king. We know that, Yeshua. God has raised up the remnant of Israel to inaugurate this kingdom. That was not in dispute. The question is, what about the Gentiles who come in? And so James says, no, Gentiles do come in. But they don't have to be circumcised. They just have to quit their pagan practices, you know, and all that goes along with that. But they don't, do not have to be circumcised. That is the question that's being addressed in this passage. See? Uh, and, uh, and so what we see here clearly uh, is from our Haftorah portion uh, that, uh, yes, God would do this work. And we know, indeed, that Yeshua is our Messiah. That's why he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is, indeed, the raised up. The house of David is no longer dilapidated. We have, indeed, a king. And God has inaugurated and is building this kingdom. And there is no longer the ruination of a regime gone wild and and wrong and sinful. But now God has raised up the empire, God's empire, God's regime, with Yeshua sitting on that throne, the very embodiment of God himself. Yes, he is unrecognized by most of Israel and the peoples of the world. He is misunderstood, uh, yet he is indeed the king. But for our purposes, just you know, there's a million things I could say about that, but For our purposes, it is the inclusion of the nations that's so important because we as a, uh, you know, the day will come when this will have its ultimate fruition, where yes, indeed, uh, where it says in verse 13, behold, days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes. 
Him, uh, him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and the hills will be dissolved, when, the, when everything will be restored and rebuilt and, and uh, you know, the, the wolf lay, will lay down with the lamb and there'll be peace and, and uh, truly the remnant from even places like Syria and Iraq uh, and Iran and uh, Jordan and Egypt and all of those nations, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, all of those nations, the modern nations in those places, there'll be a remnant from those nations. The regimes will fall, but there'll be a remnant from those nations. Yes, it will be a time, but God has inaugurated this in us. And you know, uh, as a Messianic Jewish congregation, we demonstrate this in, in who we are, you know, uh, as a congregation of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, throughout all the years, you know, we talk about this and we, we talk about how uh, as Jewish believers, as the remnant of Israel, we are not whole or complete without the remnant of the nations. And the remnant of the nations are not complete without Israel. The nations are called to bless Israel. Israel is called to bless the nations. This mutual concept of mutual blessing, right? Uh, and so this brings me to say a word about Bruce Smith, the consummate Gentile part of the body of Messiah at Beth Messiah Congregation, okay? Bruce is from the nations, one might say, right? But one who has come, had come to love Israel and the Jewish people. Through marriage to uh, Betty, Bruce put his lot with the Jewish people at Beth Messiah. Beth Messiah is a doorway for Yeshua followers who are not Jewish to bless Israel, to be part of the commonwealth of Israel more than just saying, well, I love Israel or I pray for the Jewish people, or, but to actually like place your lot here, to come here, to make this your community of faith, warts and all, you know? And that is indeed what Bruce, uh, what Bruce did. And Bruce uh, certainly served here at Beth Messiah in the best way that he could using his gifts, natural gifts and talents, and as well as, uh, you know, the spiritual gifts that God has given him. And there's certainly a lot to say about Bruce's involvement at Beth Messiah, from those early prayer meetings to forever being the chief cook uh, at Beth Messiah Congregation. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 but, but there's even more to say uh, about Bruce in that capacity. Bruce is from a generation at Beth Messiah of being a, a builder, a builder, a pioneer in the background most of the time, not the teacher, not the person in front, but a builder, a pioneer, and then kind of like a family, you know, uh, I use the word fixture. Uh, Bruce was a fixture at Beth Messiah. It's like part of the Part of what makes Beth Messiah, Beth Messiah, warts and all, all of us together, just part of it, who will sorely be missed. Uh, an important brick or an important fixture in the life of uh, the community of Beth Messiah. And so uh, when I was preparing for this, I thought about Bruce, you know, uh, that, God, that, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. And certainly Bruce Smith is one called by God's name uh, and part of that remnant who placed his lot with 
the Jewish people at Beth Messiah for almost exactly 40 years. And so, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, God, for your great plan. We thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, for your loving kindness, uh, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, uh, that you uh, did not do away with the dilapidated dynasty, with a dynasty that just fell apart, with a dynasty that walled up the temple, boarded up the temple, a dynasty that turned away from you to be like the other nations. And God, you did indeed judge it. You took down the kings, Lord. You sent our people into exile. But Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, you know, and your mercy and your grace that yes, you, sh- you have shaken us like a sieve. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for the remnant. Thank you that you have allowed us to be that remnant, part of that remnant. Lord, and thank you that you have indeed raised up a king, King Yeshua. Lord, we pray for our people that they would see the king and not live as if there's still a dilapidated house with no king. Lord, we pray, oh God, indeed, uh, that, uh, that our people would have their eyes open to hear the good news that there is the king, there is the kingdom that you promised to restore. And thank you, Lord, that was not enough for Yeshua to come and simply bring Israel back to yourself. But that would be only, uh, that would not fulfill the calling. That would not fulfill the purpose, Lord. But it's on behalf of the whole world, on behalf of the nations. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, that you are bringing people from every tongue, tribe, and people group on this earth to you, Lord. And we do pray for them. And we pray against the evil regimes. But we pray for the people, Lord, that you would deliver them from their horrible situations, even in the world in which we live. Lord, and bring them to safety and bring them to yourself. And Lord, may we be like you and not judge entire people groups, but regimes, evil powers, Lord. And we thank you, God, that from all of these nations, that you uh, continue to raise up the remnant of Israel and, and people who are called by your name. And so, Lord, this morning, just in, in memory of Bruce, Lord, we, we thank you for him. And for his life, Lord, and just uh, we thank you for 40 years of dedication here at Beth Messiah Congregation, part of our family, Lord, and so we will miss him dearly. But Lord, thank you, God, that Bruce is with you, and thank you that the promise of being called out from the nations is not just to be called out from the nations, but thank you, Lord, for the promise of resurrection, for the promise of life in you. And so, Lord, thank you that Bruce today is glorifying your name, Lord, and we pray for ourselves as we are still here, Betty, Amy, family, and all of us, Lord, as we are still on this journey. And Lord, we do look forward indeed in your time to that day, Lord, when the dead and Messiah shall be raised first, when, then when we who are alive will be gathered together with them to meet you in the air, Lord, to worship you, to sit at that table at that final big Seder, Lord, when we will eat a lavish feast together, the remnant of Israel and the nations, all of us together, including Bruce. So we thank you and we pray in your name. Amen.